this is Dr. Osa Saldivar with another episode of the Way to College podcast. Joining me today is, uh, I, I say this often, a special guest. Every guest is special, but this guest, this guest is something else. We've spent um, the first hour, actually, before even recording, just catching up. Um, because this guest, I've known this guest, man, first grade? I think we went to, since for, like first grade in, ele- in elementary. Um, and so... You know, not to steal her thunder, I'm going to turn it over to her and let her introduce herself to our guests. So, Maria, you want to take it away? Sure. Um, so, my name is Maria Casares Bano, and I am originally from Elsa, Texas, and I grew up pretty close to Jay. Um, just a, a mile from his house, probably, or so. And I do think, I mean, I think in second grade, we have a picture. I think you were in second grade with Miss Layton, too, right? I think. I, I remember you're in that picture, second grade picture. First grade was Miss Ivara, maybe? Miss Ivara, um, yeah. Miss Kindergarten, were you with Miss Lozano? I was not. So I think it was first grade that where we first met. Well, I used to be a second grade teacher. And so I'm thinking now, I wonder if my students remember my name. I'm sure they do. Why wouldn't they? Oh, maybe. So, Maria, you, um, I ask all of my, my guests this. Um, you can take us back as far as you want. Where, where you want to begin is, is entirely up to you. But one question that I want you to think about is, what did you want to be when you grew up? When you were a kid, what, did you, what is it that you wanted to be? I wanted to be an aerospace engineer. So I used to have an aunt who, my tia lived in Houston, my mom's sister. And I used to love to go to NASA there. And I used to go and see the, um, just, I think there was a big spaceship or a rocket, I remember. And I used to just love to see it. And I would try to make them take me all the time. And there was also a battleship, I feel, in Houston, too. But I don't remember the name of it. The name of the one here in New York is Intrepid. And I just don't remember the name of the one there. Maybe it was the Lexington. I, I honestly don't remember. But I was fascinated by NASA and uh, the battleship. And I really wanted to be an aerospace engineer. And I actually applied to Emory riddle which is a university in florida thinking that that's really what i wanted to do when i was in high school and i loved math i wasn't a big writer um i love science and math really i love numbers and logic games and things like that so i really thought it was going to be a career in math what did um mom and dad what did, what is it that your parents did um my father um was well when i was <laughs> probably from uh, birth to about five years old, he was a salesman and he would sell spices and uh, my mother would take care of me and we would travel with him in the station wagon and go from town to town all the way through, all the way to Laredo and back. And we would go to the stores and he would fill up the, um, the shelves, the spice shelves uh, with spices and sell them to the stores. And then when I turned about five, my father became an insurance agent and he still sells insurance in our community. And my mom works with him. And she also had a flower shop in my grandfather's grocery store when I was growing up. And so I have these fond memories of 
um, homecoming and like creating the mums and Valentine's Day, people going and buying like the because Valentine's just passed. I remembered um, the large Hershey Kisses with a balloon, and people would buy that for their kids and or for their loved ones and flowers and plants as well. There was a nursery that we used to go to, and we used to buy roses. And my mom had we had roses outside of the house, and I used to love to see the roses. So, yeah. And they still, but they, my parents are still there and also they still sell insurance there. I had no idea. Like, so I've known you since first grade. I had no idea your father sold spices and I've known your parents too. Cause your, your parents used to, I, I used to have my auto insurance with them and they're the ones that told me my house, they, my home insurance. So I, I, you know, and I see them still, I had no idea your father was a salesman like that and would sell spices yes. or that your mom had a flower shop. Wow. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think my grandfather had a grocery store, so it's sort of a family of people having like having a passion and kind of setting their own hours and their own um, agenda, right? And doing what they like as entrepreneurs in a way. So, you know, growing up with your your father, you know, first as a salesman then and then doing insurance and then your mom, right, her own sort of entrepreneurial spirit. Do you remember like what early ed conversations about education were like for you? What was it that your parents would tell you about education? So um, my father was in the school board when I was probably in kinder and probably kinder through second grade or kinder through fourth grade around those years. My father was in the school board and if my memory serves me well, I think his name is on the plaque in the high school at Calchelsa High School is being on the school board when that high school was created. But I, I think so. <laughs> I haven't seen that plaque in over 20 years. So, but that's my memory. Um, but so my father, I remember that there was a time, it was always school. School was very important for sure. Um, and there was a time I recall when there were siblings who perhaps I think they went to Harvard and we, and I remember my father saying it and being so proud of like people from Elsa, like leaving the state and going to this amazing university. And um, I, I have this memory of, of that. And then we grew up, well, I grew up watching a lot of college football with my dad, in particular Notre Dame. So we spent Saturdays watching Notre Dame football. And so I had this dream of attending Notre Dame. And because it has such a strong tradition, a football tradition, just and it reminded me of our tradition at Cal Chelsea, just a passion and I love that. And so I always had an idea that I was going to college. It was, I don't think there was ever a time that I did not think that I wanted to go to college. Where I would go to college is like, you know, I thought Notre Dame and that didn't end up happening. Right? Obviously, I ended up doing something different, but um, they always instilled education. And my, I had family members who were educators. My aunt taught my aunts and my uncle, like they were there in the high school. I mean, you know, you know, my, my tia tita, my tia Juanita, my tia Ciro, like, right. And so all these people were educators in my family. So education was a big key component of my life for sure. Yeah. So education's important, right? Here you are kind of going to the small school in deep South Texas. Um, and you aspired, aspired to go to Notre Dame, right? 
you talk about the tradition and, and, and I'm right there with you. I remember, you know, watching Notre Dame football and, and falling in love with it. And, and of course I think Rudy sealed the deal right after watching Rudy, I was like, I, you know, I want to go to Notre Dame uh, was so given all of that, given, you know, your father talking about these kids from Ed Couch going to Harvard, was there, I mean, you said college was always, there was, it was no doubt you were going to go to college where, right? Where became the question? Tell me, walk me through junior, senior year of high school and, and what it was like for you as you were getting ready to take that next step. Where did you apply? You know, how did you do it? What kind of help did you get? So um, junior, senior high school, of course, I'm busy socializing, trying to have a good time, trying to balance, you know, try to balance my studies with, you know, boyfriends and, you know, just that type of typical teenage life, right? And all the extracurriculars, right? Because I know that in order for me to go to a good university, I need to keep myself busy, good grades and extracurriculars. But I also, um, I like to be social and I needed to have that outlet as well. So um, I remember that I was thinking, I think that when it came time to it, I wasn't as confident in myself and thinking that I really could go to Notre Dame or I really could go to some great school. I think I really thought that I would go to uh, a school in Texas, right? That are great schools, but I didn't think, I didn't dream of, I guess, further out. I think part of it is I'm an only child. I wanted to be near home as well. Like thinking about all of those things that pull you and keep you in your small community and your place of comfort. I really did not continue to have that big dream that I would go to Notre Dame, right? When you get closer and closer to the wire, you're like, oh, I'm chickening out, right? And so I had that chickening out feeling of, oh, I don't want to leave my family and all of that. But then I recall um, when we were in high school, there were several students who went to Yale and went to Columbia and Brown. And there was a student at Harvard. And, you know, and uh, then, you know, you see this and you see, wow, there's these opportunities. Maybe I could, but am I as intelligent as they are? I mean, they're legends, right? You know, they're like legends. So um, <laughs> I, I, so I had that and I was thinking about that. Um, but Mr. Wahadlo, I remember Frank Wahadlo, um, when he put together a trip to go to the East Coast that you were on with me, we went on the same trip and it was the first time I ever flew in an airplane. It was just like this most memorable trip. Uh, we had a snowball fight by the Statue of Liberty. It was just a phenomenal, phenomenal trip. And um, I remember when he asked and if I would was interested, I remember thinking, wow, like, I can do this, really? Like, I'm one of those? Like, could I? Could I really do it? Like, and, and just feeling like, wow, I didn't know. Like, I, I, I knew that I was intelligent and I knew that I was dedicated, but I didn't really no, right? Like I just it didn't it never hit me. And so, and even when we went to visit the schools, I remember thinking, like, wow, this is, these places are beautiful. Like, I don't really know that I belong here, 
you know, still thinking that. And I remember when it was time to apply to colleges, I remember that the school that I ultimately went to, I was not going to apply to it. I didn't think that I could get in. And I remember Mr. Wajardo gave me an application. Like he was like, here, like you need to apply. Like you should apply. And I did. And I'm so happy that I did. Um, It was one of those, it wasn't, you know, in the computer, like it is now. It was like a, like a, thick application you had to fill out. And, and I tell people now, because I remember being working in the Elsa public library, because I was working as an AmeriCorps volunteer then. And I remember that's where I used their typewriter in order for me to type out my application. And I remember that and people are like, what used a typewriter? Like that is just like so foreign idea that, you know, this was 1996, right. When we were applying. And so, yes, I, Yes, with whiteouts and trying to like make sure that everything was perfect. <laughs> and um, the story is probably going longer than it should, but that's, no, you know, no, so no, this no. is what I was thinking. I was, you know, had doubts, but I wanted to dream bigger. And I'm so fortunate that I did. And I think that's a lesson to be learned is that you should just go for it, like shoot for the stars. And this is what I've learned now in life is that you go top, go big or go home. That's what I say. You go. You know, you shoot for the stars because what happens? So say you shoot for, you know, the stars and you end up, you know, a little bit lower than that. You're better off than if you didn't take the opportunity and the chance. And what if you do end up getting what you want? Mm. So I think you just shoot for the stars. You dream. If you have like an inclination, any inclination that you want to do something, that you're passionate about something, well, why not try it? You yeah. should try it. So you um, you apply. Right, it gives you this application, you apply. And if I remember correctly, I, I don't remember all the schools you applied to, but I do remember. So you get into the school that you ultimately go to, obviously. But I remember you getting into Princeton because I think you and I were the only ones that got into Princeton. We had some conversations about, our, should we go to Princeton, right? And yes. Then, and, then, and then we got into Notre Dame. And we visited Notre Dame, right? Remember that? Together, yes, we both yeah. visited Notre Dame, <laughs> yeah. and we had a great time. I had the time of my life, and I, it was just so much fun. I had the real college experience uh, for the weekend. It was a blast, amazing. <laughs> so, did you ever think? I mean, because it it was, I never. I think I'm more a kind of like awestruck now. Cause I think in the moment I wasn't in the moment, I, I think like, like you think about it. So like, here we are kids from Ed, from Elsa, from Ed Couch Elsa, right. Right. You know, 15 minutes from the border or whatever. And, and we're trying to decide, am I going to go to Princeton? And am I going to go to Notre Dame? Like, it's kind of, it's kind of cra- like crazy. It's not crazy to you. Yes. And well, when I remember when we were at Notre Dame, uh, that there were students and they were getting their acceptance packages or rejection letters from Columbia and stuff. And so I remember that. And I remember it so like clearly that I was like, do I have anything in the mail, mom? Like, do I have anything? Right. Um, but yes, it was, uh, it was really, it, we were so lucky. I mean, we may, I've learned you make your own luck in a way. Like you really, you try so hard. I know how hard you worked. I know how hard I think about it. I hard, worked very hard as well in high school to get to where we we're at, right. To get to the universities we went to. Um, it wasn't just given to us, uh, but it really is amazing to think about it, it to be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so tell us, where did you go? Where'd you decide on? So I decided to go to Yale and um, it was an interesting process because I really did have 
when I ended up um, being accepted to Princeton, I thought for sure I was going to go there. But I would have been the first person, I think, from my high school to ever go there. And I know that you, you know, it was just you and me who were accepted. And I thought um, I didn't want to be the first one. It, it goes back to the comfort, right? Mm-hmm. And like, okay, I'm shooting big and I'm going. But there was still part of me that was scared to leave. Yeah. And so there was at Yale, Delia Perez had been there already. And Jay Osuna was there. He had graduated here before us. And Carlos Garcia and Danny Gomez were in our class and they were going to Yale. And so for me, obviously, they were really good close friends of ours. And so for me, it just felt like it made more sense for me to go somewhere where I knew the people than where I didn't know anyone. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I ended up going to yell. Um, and I guess one, one thing and things have changed now, but one thing that I learned in that process was that when I was accepted to Princeton and was accepted to Yale. They gave me two different financial aid packages and I was able to negotiate uh, with Yale and they gave me more and they did a little bit better than match Princeton's financial aid package. Things are different now with the financial aid system, but at the time, um, I mean, it was like a huge discrepancy between what the aid package was. And so um, I think it was Mr. Wahadlo again, who, who told me, you know, you should, send that into Yale and see what they could do. And they, and I remember being called an intercom to come to the counselor's office. And I was speaking to somebody, I can't remember his name, but he was the like admissions counselor at Yale. And it was the day, like the deadline when I needed to send in the card saying that I was going there. And so I had my card of Princeton ready to go. And I remember getting the call and going in and taking the phone call, walking to the counselor's office, getting my phone, you know, taking the phone call. And I remember that they told me that they were what the numbers were. And I had to make an immediate decision. And and I chose Yale. No regrets. No, definitely not. <laughs> so, so do you go to Yale. So here you are. Young girl from Ed Kachelsen. You like you said, there are other the, there are other folks there, and a couple of, of our classmates there with you. But still, in, in you know, despite that, were there were there any challenges? Did you experience any culture shock or anything like that? Absolutely. So it turns out that when I was there, I would see. Carlos and Danny from time to time, but I didn't see them actually that often. I did see Jay because Jay and I were in the same residential college. So I would see him more often, but, um, but I really had to make my own friends, right? I had to make my own friends, charter my own path. And I think it, there was definitely a culture shock. You know, I went, came from Elsa, right? I came from, you know, living in a, a trailer house at the time and going to this amazing place that was just so beautiful. It was, you know, Victorian and also the Gothic buildings. It was just stunning. And um, seeing that I had to create new friendships, but also seeing that there were a lot of cliques that were already existing. So what I learned then and what I now appreciate because I live in New York City is that a lot of these students know each other because they've gone to the same schools or they play against each other in sports or, you know, in academic, some sort of academic um, challenges or um, games. So they 
know each other. They've played lacrosse against each other or soccer against each other, or they've gone to the same high school. And these high schools are feeding, you know, five to 12 um, students every year to each one of these Ivies. And so they go and they already have a clique established and, and they just feel more comfortable. And the culture, it's, you know, we're in the Northeast, they're from the Northeast. I mean, granted, Yale is very di- diverse as far as you have people from all over the world, mm-hmm. but um but there was no one there were very few latinos right and a few people who could who are from rural america for you know few people who grew up like we did so it was just a different experience and so i did a lot of like stepping back and observing people and learning from them um and just learning about their aspirations what kind of careers their families are, you know, in and just learning from them. And at the same time, at the time, I remember American Express had a credit card for students and you could fly to like Texas and I could fly home for, I think it was like $150. I think it was something like this. And I would fly home because I would miss my family. I would miss my friends um, because I didn't have that real strong community like I did at home in Texas. So it was definitely a culture shock for sure. You know, I, I think I still have that credit card. I think it was the blue, the blue yes, student card. Yes, yeah, I still yes, have mine. Yes. <laughs> it was great. It was. It was good to get those travel vouchers from American Express. It was awesome. It was a great credit card. Yeah. It, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so you go to Yale, you, 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 you do a little bit of observation, right? And and you're learning from from the folks that are there who have established themselves and kind of kind of have roots with these schools, right? And what you know, you you don't really see a lot of the your your classmates from Ed Calchelsa there. Um, I mean, they're there, but you're not hanging out with them. If you know, we and we'll, we can talk about the work that you're doing now for for high school students in the New York area, but. You know, for our listeners out there, if they're if they're a, you know high school kids with college aspirations, or college kids that are in the midst of trying to make that transition, what advice would you give them that you think you really benefited from, or in hindsight you wish you would have known? Sure. Um, one piece of advice would be to go to office hours. <laughs> So I did not know how important office hours were. So I was taking these courses and I remember there were people around me, friends of mine that I would hear say, oh, I'm going to office hours. Oh, I'm going to office hours. And you just assume kind of like, oh, well, they needed help with something. I I don't really need the help. But maybe I did need the help. And honestly, I did in some subjects. I definitely did need some help. Um, But it just also just being shy about it and not really knowing the purpose of office hours in a way like and not wanting to to look like I didn't belong. Right. I didn't want to look stupid to my professor and think that they were going to fail me because I went to office hours. (laughs) Because I didn't know the system. And now I realize that. Students who go to office hours, I think, probably get higher grades because they go to the professor, they ask the follow-up questions, they know how the professor is thinking. Sometimes professors maybe will give you a hint on what might be, like what they're really targeting for your the final exams, right? They might... Um, 
perhaps I remember I remember friends of mine who would go to office hours when they didn't get a good, get a good grade and they would go and complain and then their grade would go up. So I never did that. And that's something that I would advise students to do is to take advantage of office hours. I think that I think a lot of times professors do not get enough students to come by. Maybe some have a lot, but I think that there are times that they're waiting for students to come in. They probably really um, love to engage with the students and have conversations with them. And so I think that's one. Um, another one would be to become involved in activities, extracurricular activities that interest you. That is whatever it might be. And if there isn't one, if there isn't a club that interests you, create one, right? Find other people with like minds that have a mutual interest and create one. Those are two. Um, the other one would be... I think I'm a firm believer in networking. We all know that networking is so important and I can't stress it enough. And to begin thinking about networking when you're an undergrad. So I think that people might not think about it as much in undergrad, but people are really thinking about it even in high school. When parents apply to private schools in New York City and in this area, they think about how they can help their child succeed and what network they can expose their child to. And that includes the children of very successful people who have positions where they can hire them. And parents are already thinking about that before college here. And I think that that's something people should think about when they're in college and they can make their own connections and they can create lasting relationships. So after undergrad, try not to lose contact with your friends, try to maintain those relationships. And um, those are three from right for right now. Those are three. I those are, probably think those of are good. more later. If, if something comes back like <laughs> comes to mind, I'll let you know. No, but those are good. Those are really good. Especially since if, um, you know, the saying, right, if I had a dollar, right. Or if I had a nickel quarter for every time. So I work with first year students, right. At the university. And I always tell them, cause you know, the students, I think a lot of our local students, right. They have this perception, like, I'm just going to go and I'll take summer classes and I just want to graduate. So I just want to grad, just want to finish. And, uh, and I'll go in and, I, and I'm often asked to go and talk in orientation to like the auditorium full of parents. And I always tell, tell the kids that are there, I said, look around. I said, imagine all of you are graduating at the same time. I said, imagine all of you are business majors. I said, now imagine all of you are playing for the same job. I said, why should I hire any of you? <laughs> and they had to look on their faces like, what? What? I said, I said, no, seriously, think about it. I said, because all of you believe that all you need is that piece of paper. I said, but nobody tells you about the networking. Nobody tells you about getting involved. And I, that's what I'm here to tell you to do. Please do those things because those are the things that are really going to set you apart, give you that experience. And, and it's like, I, it's like, I have to sell them that. Like they don't believe it. They don't believe it. They, they'll come back and then they tell me you were right. Right. But I love, because when I created the podcast, I wasn't looking for any themes, but these are the reoccurring themes. Everybody's talking about networking. Everybody's talking about getting involved. So I, I appreciate that. And I did not tell you to say that. So thank you. For saying that. <laughs> well, so. I mean, almost every one of my jobs has been through networking. 
almost every one of them, honestly, it's been through being at an organ at an event, mm-hmm. um, meeting people and really networking has been kind of like for the way I've done it. So speaking of jobs, Maria, so you go to Yale and you earlier, you said you had aspirations, right? Of, you know, you always wanted, you know, kept asking your parents to take you to NASA, right? And aerospace engineering, things like that. You get to Yale and what did you decide on? What did you settle on for a major? Well, I, um, I'm an aer- aerospace engineer. What else? <laughs> <laughs> so I decided to major in anthropology of all things that is not science related in any way. Um, although it is, and I'll tell you how it, or it is because the physical anthropology aspect of it is sciency. I mean, that is like I took courses in human evolution and um, just sci- there's more a little bit more science based when you look at physical anthropo- uh, anthropology. But it's really not right. It's it's not a hard science. Like yeah. So um, though I don't want to offend anyone <laughs> in this podcast. Okay, uh, but it wasn't. I wasn't taking physics. <laughs> Um, so the, I decided to study anthropology and I'm going to guess you're going to ask me why. Um, and it is because I didn't two things. One, I thought that the math at Yale and it's me underestimating myself. I was very strong in math, um, in high school and just always was, but thinking that, wow, this is really hard courses, right? Like hearing people talk about their problem sets and stuff and thinking, I was like, Ooh, it's problem sets. It's so scary. (laughs) So I didn't, so I, I, I looked at the course book. They gave us this huge course book and the anthropology classes actually really, really um, just, I was just drawn to them. There's studying about um, the cultures and how people interact. It's sort of like history. I did like history um, and it's like studying history, but studying about during that moment in time, studying about the way that people lived. So yes. Okay. So there's a war going on at some point in time, but I don't want to necessarily know the graphic details about how many people were killed in that war and all of that. I want to know what was going on around the community at that time. I want to know what were the wives doing, right? Were they organizing in some way? I wanted to know all of these things and anthropology, I think lends itself to that. I think it was also, I was um, able to study about Mesoamerican uh, art and architecture and to learn more about um, just the cultures, um, a lot a lot, a lot about spirituality around the world. It was just very eye-opening because since we grew up where we grew up, a lot of people are the same. And so to really be exposed to different cultures, I was able to do that by studying anthropology. Oh, I don't think I knew what you majored in. So that was... That was, good. Yes. that was me fishing a little bit because I had no idea. Yes. So you, when so you I, said, when you said I I studied at aerospace engineering, and if you would have kept going, I would have believed you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I also kind of wanted to be Indiana Jones, to be honest. So yeah. I like I wanted to be in, I wanted to excavate and I wanted to go and dig. I, and I did have one excavation class when I was at Yale that I loved, and it was on Saturday mornings. And I love that course, uh, but I realized that 
Well, I really, really enjoyed anthropology. I, um, I, I didn't think it was the career path for me. I didn't think I'd be fulfilled. And in part, it's because it requires you to travel. And I love traveling, but it would really require me to be away from family for a long time. Like I thought in my, I was, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old when I'm taking these courses. And when I was in my junior and senior year, I realized through discussions with my professors and graduate students that you really live in different regions of the country, in remote areas of the world. And you're, while it's fascinating to be immersed in these different cultures or in an ex, participating in an excavation, um, you really, I mean, that is your, you live that and it's hard to maintain relationships, I think, um, mm. get married, have kids, all of those things as a, you know, I was thinking about all of that just because I have a strong like family and I was thinking about family and stuff. And I thought this really probably won't work for me in the long run. So, um, I still can read articles about it and, and continue to study like the way people interact, right? People watch, <laughs> but I just couldn't, um, I just didn't really think it was the right career choice. So I decided to explore other options. Let me ask you, did uh, mom and dad, did they ask you like, what are you going to do with an anthropology degree? I don't remember them asking me that. Uh, you know, <laughs> I I don't. I remember my parents being just so happy that I was, you know, going to college and they just I remember just feeling like always like they were very supportive of everything that I did. That I don't remember them asking that. But I know that I've been asked that. I know I was asked that by others. Yes. Yeah. So here you are graduating from Yale with a degree in anthropology. And what was what was your next move? So um, when I was there, so senior year, I was applying, and maybe it was junior year. It was, you know, it's been a while, but uh, this junior senior year, I was applying. I applied to other roles, so I applied to work at investment banks, uh, consulting jobs, and a few teaching roles. And I one lesson to that I I have to mention because it's something that. Um, I think it's a teachable moment for others is that when I applied to the investment banking jobs, investment banking was a big thing. Um, they would recruit heavily at, on campus and there were several economic majors, people who were majoring in economics that I was friends with and they applied to these jobs. And so I applied as well. I heard, Oh, they're applying, you know, at my anthropology degree their economics degree, I think they're probably a better fit for these investment banking positions. So I applied using the Yale Career Services Portal. And then I never looked at that portal again. I did eventually, but I did it after I had missed several interviews. So I actually had opportunities to interview at all of these, at several investment banking uh, firms or investment banks. And I didn't know, I just did. I just didn't think I was going to get an interview. So I just never bothered to look back. And it was sort of that sort of being afraid of rejection, probably that I didn't look, mm -hmm. I just didn't want to be a, feel like a failure. So I just didn't bother. And I didn't think in my wildest dreams, they'd interview me as an anthropology major. Well, I missed out on all of these opportunities, but you know, I love where my career is now, but I think it's a teachable moment because I think that one, 
even if that isn't your major, but you're interested in it, you should go for it, right? You should go for it. And two is that shouldn't underestimate yourself because other people might see qualities in you that you don't see. Other people, they're, they have more experience. They know uh, they can spot somebody who's going to be successful. And you're young, right? When you're 18, 19, 20, 21, you're young, right? And we're always learning, by the way. Even right now, I'm 42. We're always learning. I'm learning every day. And so, but people can spot who might be successful. They look at your GPA. They have a conversation with you. They can tell your drive. And you might end up getting a role that maybe you're, you feel like you weren't qualified for, but that you actually deserve and that they know that you can succeed at. So those are, I really wanted to bring that up because I think it's something that um, students should think about and they shouldn't be afraid. Yeah. I love that. I I love that, that, I mean, you know, I'm sorry that you missed out on that, but I'm I'm glad that, you know, your the path that you've found, right. Has, has still been such a, what? Oh, sorry. I didn't even get to where I'm at. Right. So I, I, I mentioned, no, no, that's, that's okay. (laughs) That that's fine. No, no, no. I I mean, we're getting there. Right. But I think, I think like, like, no, you're right. It is a teachable moment. Right. We, we underestimate ourselves. I loved that you said, right. That fear of rejection. Cause I think, I don't know. Um, yeah, I had this conversation with another guest, uh, also from Ed Cal Chelsea, who's a little younger than us, but we were talking just about like, <clears throat> like struggle and how, you know, just, just whether, whether, you know, maybe today's generation or your students today, like are taught, like almost expected, like, like you should expect struggle, like you should embrace it, right? You should em- embrace fear and failure and all of these things because they're not bad things. Right. Um, and so I appreciate you talking about like you applied to these jobs, but you didn't necessarily have the confidence to go back and check the portal. Right. And the opportunities were there, but that fear just kept you from some of those opportunities yet. You still, you found other doors. Right. So, so what happens then? What happened? What did, what happened then for you? So I interviewed with some consulting firms. Um, So I did, I, so I did have some other opportunities. I did start looking at that portal. (laughs) And then I saw this teaching opportunity with the New York city teaching fellows, which is an organization that is a lot like um, teach for America, but they focus on the schools in New York city. And so they place um, teachers in communities and under represented communities in the city and where there is a need for um, teachers. And so I applied to the program and uh, they offered a free master's degree with it. And I applied and I was accepted and I came from Yale. I took the train, took the subway to this community in the South Bronx and I'd heard of it. And I was wearing this black suit from JCPenney and a skirt suit. And I remember um, getting off the subway and seeing these car wa- this car wash and these um, car, um, I'm trying to think of how to explain it, but there are these, <laughs> I was going to say chop shops, but they're not, but they were actually like repair shops, a mix uh-huh. of, you know, mix of it all. So, and there were these Spanish signs and things. So some ways I felt like I was sort of 
in in Valle in a way. Like it was things were in Spanish and you know, like it just felt homey. And I asked the individual, because this is before having a phone that has a map on it. So I asked an individual at the car wash and um if he knew where the school was. And I asked him in Spanish and because we were having this conversation in Spanish. It was like a very it was it felt call me like I said I felt comfortable and he said oh yeah like you know just let me finish washing this car at the yellow and I'm like oh, okay keep this pedal so I waited right there on the side of the street and a police car drives by and the police car they rolled down the window and they said excuse me ma'am are you okay do you need something I'm like oh well I'm just waiting for a ride to get to the school and they're like can you get in the car and I'm like uh, sure. Okay. <laughs> so I get in the car and the policeman drive me to the school and they proceed to tell me not to take this job. They tell me that they tell me about the neighborhood and they tell me you do not take this job. And I get off, I get off to the school. I walk in, the principal hires me almost immediately on the spot and I take the job and he gives me an offer and I took the job and I taught there for several years. And at night I was getting a master's degree at Hunter College. And so I would, you know, take the subway down to, I was teaching in the Bronx. I lived in the Bronx and then I would take the subway to Hunter and then go back North, every, you know, every day. So I did that not every day, but it was like twice a week, I think uh, that I was at Hunter. And, um, during that time, I realized that I wanted to, it was a time for me to think about and explore what I wanted to do really that yeah. time period. Um, I, when I was an undergrad, I didn't know, like, while my friends were studying for the MCATs and the GRE and the LSATs, um, I didn't have anyone to really guide me in that aspect. So I was sort of just watching and observing, like I said, and learning from them. So when I was in a teaching, I realized that I wanted to go into, um, I wanted to work in education reform and try to create curriculums that would uh, engage the students. And in particular, I wanted to teach like English language arts through music and poetry, but really through music. It's really what I liked. And I, I felt like it really worked with my students and then and, and the population I was teaching and um, teach math through art. And then you also teach them both like through art and music and just have a more creative type of education. Um, you can still learn the same things, but through a more creative environment uh, platform. So I wanted to do work in that and try to change and revolutionize schools, right? I think a lot of people have these ideas. And um, I went to uh, a panel at Columbia University and the panelists, there were a few that had a JD, a Juris Doctorate degree. And so they were lawyers, but they were you know, had uh, roles in education, right? And they were professors at Columbia and, uh, and high, you know, and specialized and focused on higher education and other elementary education. But I realized then that, wow, okay, so if I became a lawyer, I could go the education route and do what I'm passionate about, or I can become a lawyer and be a lawyer, right? And help people in a different way or, you know, become, so then I realized that becoming a lawyer might give me more opportunities. So I decided to pursue a career in law. So aerospace engineering <laughs> to anthropology major to a teacher in the South Bronx in a community where the police officers told you, don't take that job, but you took it. You didn't listen to them. 
earn a master's degree at Hunter College, and then you decide, I'm going to get a law degree. And so, Maria Casares, what are you doing now? So I just want to say one more thing. So I teaching in the Bronx, by the way, was so fulfilling and challenging. And I'm so glad I took that job. I have to say, like, I had students, parents who were just so amazing. You know, they really loved their children and they really cared about them. It was, you know, it was a mix, but um, I did find a community there. And so I'm so happy that the police didn't deter me. But um, so what do I do now? So I am a lawyer. Um, I've been practicing law now since 2008. And I... I have practiced different areas of the law, much like my career has changed and my trajectory has changed. I started off um, in 2008, as many people know, there was a global recession. So when I graduated, I had um, I had this amazing uh, job uh, as a lawyer and I was working in global finance, and so these deals dried up. There was a lot of lending happening at that time. A lot of people in the legal industry were laid off, especially if you were a new attorney, because we just don't have the skills. We don't, I mean, we are, it's like a training period in essence, right? Your first years of loss of being a lawyer, you're learning a lot. And so, um, so I, I was laid off and I reached out to an attorney who I worked with as a summer associate at that firm who had moved to another firm. And he told me, well, I think we might have a role for you here, but you'll have to change and you'll have to become a litigator. So for those people who, you know, just to get explained a little bit, I was a transactional lawyer, which means you're doing like loan documents, purchase agreements, things involving a transaction and an exchange of money. And now I would be moving into litigation, which is like what you see on TV and going into a courtroom. So, um, So it's a different area of the law. And so I said, I will take anything. Absolutely. I'll become a litigator. <laughs> like I'm so new in my role, you know, in my profession that I can transfer over easily. And most importantly, I needed a job. And uh, in order for me to stay here and living here, um, I needed to find a job. So I was really, really just so fortunate because um, there were no legal jobs then, really, that people were losing their jobs. And I was able to find one. And I'm just just forever grateful for that opportunity. And um, do you have a question for me at all right now, or should I continue? <laughs> you can continue. I mean, I was gonna, you know, you said you 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 still kind of moved around even as as an attorney, like do, doing different types of things. Um, I you know I I think it's it's interesting um, to your your trajectory and and where you're going and and. You know, you asked me before we got started about like the audience and purpose of the podcast. And one thing I, I failed to mention to you is another reason for me starting the podcast was because the students that I work with often assume and I'm going to borrow, you know, this ruler. They assume that their trajectory is going to be a straight line. 
and that somehow, and I, and I see it more so now where like in high schools, we want kids to identify a major and to pick a pathway like as early as like eighth grade, ninth grade. And I, I always feel like I have to tell my kids like, relax, chill out. Like you're 18, 19. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I don't, I still don't know what I want to do. Right. <laughs> and, so, and so, and so to show them, like, I love, one of the things I love about this podcast is I have yet to beat, meet anybody with a straight line. Everybody's mm-hmm. kind of all over the place. And I feel like the straight line is kind of like that. You're the, that's the oddball. Like you're, you're odd if you've managed to have a straight line, everybody's kind of going all over the place. So it's true. Yeah. And for those people who have a straight line, uh, a lot of them might be very happy with their careers. Mm. Absolutely. They might be, but a lot of them may have never left that straight line out of fear, out of, you know, lack of uh, really fear, lack of confidence in leaving that straight line. Right. So you stay with the norm because that's what you know, and that's your trajectory. Um, I will say that I, so I went from transactional lawyer to become a litigator and there I worked in different areas of the law. I worked in commercial litigation. Um, I also worked in corporate bankruptcy and um, also employment law. And then I moved to another firm and I worked in securities law. And then I went from there. I realized I've had all this experience. The one that I'm really passionate about and I really like is employment law. So I reached out to somebody I had worked with as a summer associate at that firm that laid me off in 2009 in February. I reached out to a partner who I'd worked with like 10 years before that or so, like eight years, something like this. And just sent him an email out of the blue and he responded and said, of course, I remember you. I had helped him with a article for a New York law, New York law journal article. And I helped him with writing it and with a presentation. And he said, of course, I remember you. And, um, whether he did or not, you know, who knows, but, he, <laughs> but, he, but, but I was hired by his firm, by the firm. So I think he did. And so, um, so I sent him, I, he proceeded key. I, I just emailed him. They were hiring. I went home. I, I wasn't looking for a job then, but I went and I fixed my resume immediately. Like my resume was outdated because I had him, you know, I'd been this other firm for three years, almost four years, I believe. So I had an updated, I went home, updated it, sent it out. And I was hired by the other firm and worked at a firm where all we did was employment law defense. So management side employment, the largest law firm in the world that focuses on that. And then in the summer, just past summer, and I was hired, I started at another firm, a full service firm, and also practicing employment law. And I just love it. Yeah. Wow. And that's where I'm planning to stay is employment law. (laughs) But I have, but I have, to your point, I have explored. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that. Along the way with exploring, though, I mean, it's true that you could lose some years, right? So as it 
so that people can familiarize themselves with how law firms, some law firms work, is that there can be tiers. And so you're like a first year, second year, third year, fourth year, fifth year, sixth year, seventh year, right? And it goes up how many years you've been at a firm. And when you lateral over, which means that you move from one firm to another, sometimes you won't come in at the same level. And so you might come in at a lower level. And so then you might lose a year or two. And then for me, I moved around thinking, you know, I, I explored different areas of the law. So it, I lost some years because I was exploring other areas that were not employment law, of course, right? Yeah. And so, but it's just something, but I'm happy. And in the end, I'm at the place where I am very, very happy. But um, you just have to explore, right? And, and yeah. take risks. We've come a long way from... Uh... Our high school years in El Sano. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But I miss home. Like I told you earlier before this podcast that I was listening to Mr. Wahando yesterday teaching about uh, Joe in Edinburgh. And like I love listening to, like I felt like I was in my high school class. And even though I'm so far away um, mm-hmm. and I, I, I am not very active on Facebook, but I have friends that are that are from the valley and so i'm able to see things that are happening right and just like the whole thing like with the you know this freeze that just happened and you know i was really following the sea turtles right sea turtle ink i was really really following them but yesterday i received this thing it was like a star badge or something because i'm one of their like big supporters because i was loving like i was loving i was like you know i was just like so so into their into what was happening there in the valley during this past week with a big freeze yeah it, it was crazy so, it, it was crazy yeah. and, and uh yeah i'm glad i'm glad you're still connected in some ways and i know um and if i'd like you know and i'll thank you again before we're done here but i do appreciate you taking the time to, to sit with me and and do this podcast before we go though because I'm, I'm sure you've still got a lot of like advice for us but before we got on you were telling me about some work you were doing um, with an organization called Itu Tambien, right? So tell us about this work and tell us about why this work is so important to you. Sure. So Itu Tambien um, is an organization that was started here in New York City. And a student from Rio Grande City, from the Valley, um, started the organization. There was a Yale Day of Service. He attended Yale. Um, I believe it was the, the School of Drama is what he attended as a, as a for his master's. And he went to University of Texas for his undergrad. But he was from Grande City. And I saw a person from Yale connected with this person. And I saw something about Grande City. And I saw another comment about students and helping high school students get into universities. And I just messaged him on Facebook, just a stranger messaged him me. And I, I, 
and um, sort of like how I ended up with that other the job that I said, like, I, I just really, that's a lesson. Like, if you want something, go after it, right? Yeah. Don't be afraid to do it. And so I messaged him and I said, oh, I'd love, tell me about the organization. I'd love to get involved. And so he told me they this organization helps high school students in New York City who go to the public schools here. And they're predominantly first generation students. And um, we help them with their college application process. And so he said, you know, we could use some help with um, reviewing college essays, college application essays. So that's what I, I helped doing that. Um, so we have about 80 students or so that go through the program a year. It's been, I guess, it's been about five years or so since the program started maybe longer, five, six years. And um, majority of the students end up going to phenomenal schools, like the schools of their dreams, you know, like they, we have several that go to Yale. Two of the people that I mentored uh, recently are at Yale um, and um, they go to Williams, University of Chicago, UCLA, you know, they go to this, the schools that they really want to go to. Um, and we help them with the process. I think that the schools here, a lot of the high schools, um, there are some high schools have over a thousand students per grade. And so they don't get the individualized attention that they need for their college application essays. And in addition to that, also um, is being that their parents are first generation, they don't know the college application process. And I think that's something that I can relate to. And I'm sure that you, you probably can relate to that too, Jay, is that uh, we were very fortunate that we had somebody like Mr. Wajardo who really, really helped us with our process um, and really helped us believe in ourselves and that we could really dream bigger and, and grow, right? And um, I wanted to do the same thing. And that's one of the reasons why I became a teacher initially was because I knew that I wanted to give back to the community. And it was a great time for me to figure out what exactly I wanted to do with my life. But it also, I wanted to make sure that I was impacting students and trying to tell them that they can be somebody. Like, look at me. If I can do it, you can do it, right? And so these students in high school, it's the same kind of idea, right? We help them with their college application process. Um, there's people that are, so uh, JC Salinas is his name, and um, he's amazing. He runs the program. Um, he has a job as well, and he's, it's really a volunteer organization, and uh, he does such a good job of running this program, and I'm just so happy that I'm able to, because um, I have a passion for education and for helping students, and so I'm just so glad that I'm able to spend even like a small part of my time doing that, right? It's never enough, but I'm happy for having the opportunity to be able to do that. That's awesome. That is phenomenal. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, right? Because I think, I think both of us recognize like just how fortunate we were um, because not every, not everybody's had that opportunity. And for us, like where we're coming from, um, you know, to, to not only have, you know, Mr. Wajardo, um, now Dr. Wajardo, cause I'm sure he, if, when, if I send him this, he's gonna, he might say, <laughs> but no, he's, he's never, he's never been, you know, like that. So, but, yeah, well, 
I knew him from before doctor. And so it's true. I've seen him in New York. I've seen him in New York a couple of times. Um, the last time I saw him in New York was for one of his daughter's performances uh, in Queens. Um, but I always, and you know, I always think I call him Mr. Wahadla, but I'm, I hear people call him Frank. But I'm just not even comfortable calling him Frank you, yet. But you maybe, still call him Mr. Wahadla? <laughs> yes, yes. I was just he, I should start calling him Dr. Wahadabu, I guess. Nobody but just you're right, Frank. you're right. But just call him Frank. I wouldn't feel comfortable. It's he's know. Frank, Maria. Just call him Frank. <laughs> like like I yeah, that's what I call him. Whenever I see him, I'm like hey Frank, and it's just like hey Frank AJ. That's that's it. That's the and I'm sure he would have he would so appreciate funny. it. But I yeah, I, I mean I I think we both recognize how fortunate we are. So this work, I I'm glad that you're doing this work and that you have this this opportunity to contribute and help these kids because. Because I know, I know for me that's it's important that 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 like we pay it forward somehow. Because because yeah, because I I I, w- I wish I could lie to you and say like oh I did this all on my own and I didn't need anybody's help. No, I shit I had a lot of help <laughs> and and if if it hadn't been for people like Frank and then just people along the way, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't have this platform and this you know the opportunity to help other people. So I'm I'm really happy that you're doing that. So. Okay, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate you inviting me to join the podcast. I think that um, I, I think that a message that I wanted to send is that, and we've, we've already, you know, I'm just reiterating it, is that students should go after their dreams, right? It shouldn't be, yes, there's, it's not going to be easy and you can change your mind along the way. And that's fine. And also to take really take advantage of opportunities. I think that as a lawyer now, um, I have been involved in a few um, other programs where I help first generation law students with, you know, the um, process for job interviews to for law to work at law firms and speaking with students who are uh, law students currently and who don't have someone guiding them sort of a lot like myself, right? I didn't have anyone guiding me through the law school process and getting a a law firm job. And so I think that there are times that there are events that are, could, could be attended by more people. I think that it's great to have 10 people show up to an event, but it's even better if you can reach more people. And I think that students should take the time to, again, it goes to networking. It's about building your network, but take the time to listen to podcasts, to go to events and take advantage of those opportunities because you never know who you're going to meet in one of these places. You meet the next person who's going to, you know, your next boss there, the next person who's going to put you in contact with somebody who will, hire you. They're just so important. And besides that, even though that doesn't happen, you learn from their experiences and you learn what to do, what not to do. It gives you more ideas about career options and trajectory. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> well, I was rehearsing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. But I, I knew that when I came on, I really wanted people to know that they should, you know, you have to take risks and, and it's okay to do that. And it's okay to mess up from time to time and find your way. Well, well, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm out of questions. 
Um, okay. <laughs> Can I ask you some? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you What do you want to What do you want to ask me? So I mean, how did you decide to become? And this is an honest question. How did you decide to become a professor? What made you do that? Um. So when I was graduating, um, my my major ultimately was Chicano studies and. Honestly, Maria, I, I didn't have a plan. So I'm getting ready to graduate. I'm about, I think, a semester away. And and Stanford had a, a this thing called a co-terminal degree. So you could apply during your senior year and just start on a master's. So I did that because I was deathly afraid of getting out into the real world. And I was really comfortable in the Stanford bubble. <laughs> um, I wasn't ready to leave. I, I didn't. I And I think at that point, I thought, okay, I think I'm going to be an elementary teacher. Because every time I'd come home, I'd, I'd substitute teach. And I did I did like pre-K all the way through sixth grade. And I loved it. And um, and so that was the plan. So I, I stayed for a year, got a master's degree. In the middle of my master's degree, I came home. Um, Frank, Frank Guajardo, put a conference together um, with the university. And he was working at the university at the time. And uh, invited me to come down and to bring my advisor. Because my advisor was kind of like a... He, you know, he was a well-known professor. And so he said, hey, why don't you bring your advisor and, you know, it'll be this big thing. Okay. So while I was down, I met the dean in the College of Ed here at UTPA at the time. We were on a panel together and she said, Jose, I really like what you have to say. Do you want a job? <laughs> so I said, you know, it's networking, right? Because of Frank, because of these connections, right? And I said, Sure. And I, I talked to my advisor about it just to get his his take. And he said, he said, take it. He says, nobody gives you a job at a university right out of, you know, finishing a master's degree. And I remember like, so I took the job. I, I didn't even really have a, like, I, I hope nobody gets in trouble for this, but I didn't even have like a real interview. I showed up not ready. They told me to come in to, to, to drop off my paperwork. So I show up like in jeans and like a Guayavera. And then they're like, oh, can you come into this office? <laughs> and so they interview me. The I interview with the chair and like the associate dean. And they're like, can you start this summer session? And I was like, what? what? Is this the interview? Like, um, So I asked for some time so that I could just, let me just start in the fall. Cause I, I don't even have a textbook. I don't know what I'm teaching. And I told myself, I'll do it for three years and then I'm going to go back and get a PhD. Cause I love like that. I think what I figured out and I always tell my students, I think I figured out in college that like, yeah, I'm a real nerd. Like I loved class. I loved learning. I was the kid. I was the kid in office hours. I was in every professor's office hours. I couldn't my, like I was attached to my professors at the hip. And so, so, so I, you know, I start teaching and I realized, man, I really, I love this job. Like it was so much fun. My first year was amazing. And, and I, you know, I, I, I took my lumps, right. I know it pissed off a lot of people that were teaching there because I was 23, I think when I started and they were like, I had one professor that told me, we were going to a school because I was teaching college of ed. So we're going to a school where we have, we're placing teachers and she stops me in the parking lot. And she says, you don't deserve this job. Oh yeah. That's right so rude. <laughs> she said, she said, you have no teaching experience. And, and to be honest, I hadn't, I'd done substituting. And then in, in college, I always worked with like after school programs, like boys and girls club, things like that. So I, I mean, I'd worked with kids 
you know, since, you know, the last five years. So I just said, I, I understand. I respect your opinion. I said, I hope I can prove you wrong. Um, she's very, she's still there. She's very nice to me now. Very, very <laughs> respectful. <laughs> Um, you can but, share this podcast with her. Yeah, I'll send it to you. <laughs> send it to the end. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I, 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 I went back to school, but I never quit. So I was, I did the PhD at UT. I commuted for two years to Austin. I'm still teaching a full load. And um, my, my boss was gracious enough that she would schedule, allow me to schedule my classes so that I could travel, take the classes, still come back. And um I don't know. I, I just, I fell in love with the students. I would, um, knowing like our conversation right now, I forced my students to come see me. I made it part of the class. And I said, you have to come visit with me like for 15 minutes, we're going to have a conversation. And so I got to know, you know, all of my students and, you know, help them out and, you know, okay, now you got to go talk to this professor. And, and so it, it, yeah, I mean, I fell in love with it. I, I love teaching. I had, I've had opportunities to take other jobs and I was like, mm, nah, I really like, I really like this. This is fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so those, you see that those professors, they knew like the Dean, like they, they saw you, they saw your passion for it and they knew yeah. that they could believe in you. Right. So you thought, and other people thought you weren't qualified, but they knew that they, you were a shining star that you would, you know, you'd be able to fill those shoes just fine. I never so, thought about that, great. but I guess so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a great story. That's really amazing. Was um, I, what were you teaching that first semester, or what were you teaching them? Um, when I started, I was teaching a class. Uh, I was teaching multicultural ed. So it was. It was the funny thing is the students that I had were juniors. So I had I had students from Ed Cal Chelsea that we went to high school with. That you did, yes. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking. I, I, was like, I had, oh gosh, I had some of our classmates. Um, I had some of our classmates. I had I had students that were like a year or two younger than us. Like you know, Fred Borrego was one of my students. And then, oh wow! Yeah. Okay. So I had you know I I, and then it was a real it was a little awkward because I couldn't really go out anymore because I'd of see course. students. <laughs> you know, I'm 23 and I wanted to go out and I couldn't because I'd see students. So. You know, it was, I, I learned a lot, I think the first two years and mm-hmm. just also about my privacy and, and, and getting to know my students, but also still keeping like those boundaries, I think was important. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But, wow. Yeah. So now I, I work with, I still teach for like, I, I, I do, um, it's funny. So I teach, uh, I still teach every once in a while for college of ed. Right now I'm doing a couple of classes and intro to the teaching profession. I'm teaching intro to management. I'm teaching academic and career success. And then, um, and then usually I teach a course called learning framework. It's a first year for our first year students. And I oversee the first year like program for our students. So the, our first year experience courses, I, I oversee that program. And so I have faculty that I guess technically report to me, but I don't see them as like they're like, I'm their boss. No, I, I'm, you know, they're my colleagues, but I, I, the, I'm fortunate that I'm in a position where like I get to, to decide on a lot of like first year experience type stuff for students. So I'm, it's, it's a great opportunity for me. That's great. That's yeah. really great. It's so rewarding. You have a lot of interaction with people too. It's awesome. Yeah. It's um. yeah, I, I'm, you know, very fortunate 
and 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 you know as you are like i i think one yes. of the things for me is like doing this podcast is is I, I i don't know a little bit of celebrating you all too like the people that i interview cuz <laughs> you like like all like i you know i i thought you know i i'm going to reach out to my network cuz cuz i know so many amazing people that are doing amazing things and and whether they know it or not or they acknowledge it like yeah, you all are are a bunch of badasses. Like, man, great <laughs> stuff. And, yeah. Thank you. I really yeah. appreciate that. I'm flattered. I mean, I you know you don't I don't think about that uh, at all. Uh, but I do sometimes think like, wow, really? I it, it, sometimes like before this podcast, I was thinking back about high school and like the trajectory where I'm at, and just have this amazing, um, amazing career right now. I love where I'm working. I love what I do. I have, um, I haven't. I've only been into my office a few times to when I'm on a panel for a webinar, I like to go in to make sure that I have connectivity and I don't lose the internet at all at home. Um, I just want to like, I'm very on top of that. Like I, I, I obsess about things being perfect and I never want it to cut off in the middle of a presentation or something. So I go and I pinch myself because I have a view of um, Times Square from my office. I can see the ball drop if it were New Year's <laughs> Eve. It's really amazing it's a postcard photo i pinch myself seriously when i go in every time i've only been there five maybe five seven times or so because of the pandemic yeah. uh, but it's just gorgeous it's just it's just uh, I, I i'm telling you i stand there and it's just floor to ceiling windows and i have the just a, i just look out at times square and i just stand there and like because of the pandemic there aren't a lot of people um, but the lights are still there and I can see the empire state building as well. And it's just gorgeous. And I seriously, I stand there and I just look down and I just like some, I have been teary eyed before thinking, wow, like <laughs> this is unbelievable. <laughs> um, but you know, you have to work hard, right? You have to work hard, yeah. try your best. Yeah. Remember that impressions are very important. You know, like when I emailed that one person I had worked with like 10 years before, eight to 10 years before. And I wasn't sure if he'd remember me. One thing to remember is that people remember, people may remember you and they remember good impressions and they remember the bad impressions too. Right. So it's important to, to remember that. And when you're in a professional setting to act professionally and, and um, yeah, but to work hard and try to make a good impression. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Maria. Anything else before we go? You know, I think we could talk forever because I think if we count, we were supposed to start this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking for over two hours because we started sneaking before the podcast and, you know, we were catching up and stuff. So I think we could talk forever. You know that I used to talk a lot. I used to get a U for talking in elementary school. You probably remember that. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I mean, I, I, I think I've, I, I don't, I don't think I have any more words of wisdom for the moment. Okay. But well, thank you. I, this has been great. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you. Really for me, this is the, the pleasure is all mine because I mean, it gives me an excuse to catch up 
with friends like you, you know, dear friends, but then also to, to give you the space to reflect on, on your journey. Um, and, and, you know, even as close as friends as we are, you know, there were so many things that I didn't know. So it's, it's been a good experience for me, like a great experience. I'm sorry. Just learning kind of, it, it almost felt like I was getting to know you all over again. And it, it felt, you know. <laughs> yes, it's like first meeting me in first grade again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, time didn't go by too far because in first grade, I was probably missing teeth. If we wait a couple more decades, I'd be missing teeth again, right? Well, this next, so next time, let's not, let's not wait so long to, 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 I guess, catch up. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Yes. The next time I visit the Valley, I'll be sure to check in on you. I mean, are I'm not going to say where you live, but I believe you still live off the same street that my parents live off of. I do. Yeah. Same um, neighborhood. Next, same same neighborhood. Live right next okay. door to my folks. So yeah. next time you're down, let me know next time you're down and I will, um, I will treat you and your family to dinner. My treat. Absolutely. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I'm definitely, no, I will treat you to dinner. No, no. But I definitely want to you. see you. No, I'm <laughs> treating you. I'm treating you because if I go to New York, I know it's much more expensive there. And I expect you to treat me in New York. Oh, you're so smart. There you go. You're so smart. <laughs> It'd be my pleasure. Absolutely. You should come visit. Absolutely. Okay. Maria, you take care. You have a good night, okay? Have a good night. All right. So this concludes another episode of the Way to College podcast. Tune in next time for um, for another episode. We'll see you soon.